Well, hey everybody, it's great to have the chance to share with you here. I'm especially excited about today because we're starting a new series. It's about the church. We're gonna look back at the early days of the church, but we're also looking to the future. Uh, we're gonna see how God is calling the church to move forward. Now, in some ways, I'll be speaking directly to all of you at Plum Creek, but maybe you're not a part of our church, or maybe you're just exploring faith in general. Whatever the case, I believe this series will be helpful to everyone. We're gonna clear up some misconceptions between the human version of church and God's version. And it's great to be talking about this right now because over the last couple of months, our normal picture of church has really changed, hasn't it? But that's not entirely a bad thing because we have a unique opportunity right now to step back and ask a few questions. What exactly does God expect from the church? How does he want us to function? Who does he want us to be? Over the next several weeks, we're gonna look at the book of Acts to find answers to those questions. And I wanna to begin today by asking you a question. Right now, I'm trying something new here. If you're watching on Facebook Live, we're gonna do a little poll. I'll give you a question, and when you see the question pop up on the screen, just click it to reveal three possible answers, and then you can choose one of those answers. Now, this doesn't work the same way on YouTube, so my apologies to the YouTube crowd, but it's okay. You can still post your answer in the comments. So let's try this out. Here's my question. What has been your church experience since we haven't met in a building on Sundays? And here are the three options you can choose from. Number one, it's been great. I've experienced a lot of spiritual growth. Number two, I've rolled with it okay, but it's not my favorite. And the third possible answer is, it stinks. I've been going crazy over here. So choose the best possible answer from those three choices and go ahead and click on that. Now, obviously, I can't see your responses from where I am, but you should be able to see them on Facebook, whether you're watching live or you come back and watch later. And since I'm the one asking the question, I should probably answer it myself. So I thought about that, and to some extent, my answer depends on the day because there have been times in the past two months where I really felt like God was teaching me and stretching my faith in a good way. Other times though, I've been really frustrated because I miss you guys and I really wanna get back together. So if you combine all of those ups and downs, I guess my average is somewhere in the middle, which means I would probably choose the second answer. And the truth is, I'm sure we've all experienced both, both frustrations and blessings during this time. And we're also learning some lessons about ourselves and about the church. And as we move closer and closer to whatever the new normal is, we need to carry these lessons into the future. I'll give you a few quick examples of what God has been teaching me. First, I'm seeing that God's design for the church is more than just getting together for an hour on Sunday morning. Now, that's always been the case, but COVID-19 has revealed this truth in a new way. And this is a key difference between our modern American understanding of Christianity as compared to the church in the book of Acts. Check out this description from Acts chapter 5. It says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a lot we could talk about in this one sentence, but let's look at those first three words day after day. 
in the book of Acts, it really seems like these early Christians got together all the time. They just shared their lives with each other. But they were more than just some social club. Do you see that? They never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, they were very committed to the mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But I'll give you another lesson that's become clear to me in 2020, and we can see it in this same verse in the book of Acts. Followers of Jesus do not need an official church building to be the church. And again, that's always been the case. But here in the U.S., the word church often makes us think of a building. But that concept would have been completely foreign to the early Christians. They knew that the church is not a building. It's a group of people who all have Jesus in common. Now, I think it's important to look at the context of those early days. So let's go back to that verse. Where did these Christians meet? We have two examples, right? In the temple courts and from house to house. So guess where they did not meet? The early church did not meet in a building that was specifically designated as a place of worship. It was very, very common for them to meet in small groups in somebody's home. In those homes, they would worship together. They would have a time of teaching and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And they would also just hang out and have dinner together. Small groups were a huge part of church life at that time. But this verse does not just refer to small groups. There were also larger gatherings as well. Early Christians would often meet in a Jewish place of worship, like a synagogue or the temple itself. Sometimes they would just meet on a street corner. That's what the Apostle Paul did in the marketplace at Athens. And then on rare occasions, they might rent a public hall. We see that when Paul visited the church in Ephesus. But for more than a century after the church started, there was no such thing as a church building. And as we take that perspective into our time, it's good to remember that we can absolutely be the church without a church building. But that brings me to another truth that we're learning. We can be the church without a building, but we can't be the church without each other. We need relationships. We need support from our brothers and sisters. We need to pray for each other and spur each other on toward love and good deeds. And is a large group gathering a part of that? Sure, it's a great thing to come together and worship in a large group. But we also need relationships that go deeper than what we can find in a large group gathering. And this is another area where the 21st century American church does not always look like the church in the book of Acts. Because in our time, it's been a common thing for someone to attend a church for weeks or months or even years without ever building deep relationships with other followers of Jesus in that congregation. The reality is you need those relationships with other Christians and those other Christians need you. In a church like Plum Creek, we can't know everyone on a deep and personal level, but we can all have at least a few close relationships. And when the church is working right, we will encourage each other to pursue Christ and pursue the mission that he gave us. That's what the church did from the very beginning. And it's time for us to go back and look at that original pattern. Today, I want to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1. And before I read this, let me give you a little background. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. 
And we could think of Acts as kind of a sequel to Luke's earlier book. First, he wrote about the story of Jesus, and now he goes on to tell the story of the church. We learn how the church began and grew through the power and the work of God's Holy Spirit. Now, in Acts 1, the church has not officially started yet. The story begins just before Jesus leaves this world and ascends into heaven. So let's dive in. I'll start with chapter 1, verse 1. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's a powerful picture, isn't it? You have this small group of disciples, and in the weeks leading up to this moment, they have been through so much. They experienced the horror of the crucifixion. They lost their rabbi, their leader, their hero, the one they believed to be the long-awaited Messiah. But on the third day after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. And that was the greatest turnaround story, the greatest miracle of all time. And the disciples had trouble wrapping their heads around that. But over the next 40 days, it became clear the resurrection was not just a dream. Jesus really was alive. But then he started giving these strange instructions. And before you know it, he's gone again. He shot up into heaven. And if I had been there, I'm sure my head would have been spinning. But from God's perspective, this was all part of the plan. The plan was for Jesus to come and sacrifice his own life and take the sins of the world on his shoulders. And then Jesus would rise again and eventually go back to the Father. And sometime after that, God's presence would come in the form of the Holy Spirit and the church would begin. Next week, as we look at Acts chapter 2, we're going to see that beginning. But right here in chapter 1, Jesus lays out a vision for the future of the church. Let's go back and read verse 8. We're going to focus on this verse for the rest of our time together. Jesus said to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the vision. That was God's plan for what the church would do. The early followers were expected to go out and change the world, but not by their own power. 
they were told to wait for a power that was infinitely greater than their own. The Holy Spirit would work in the church and through the church to take the good news of Jesus all over the world. Now, when we look at the New Testament as a whole, we know that this vision in Acts 1.8 still applies to the church today. Let me show you what I mean with this map. Okay, so Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's look at where those places are. Jerusalem is in the modern day country of Israel. It was the location of the Jewish temple. It was the city where Jesus was crucified and then rose from the dead. Jerusalem is also where the church began. The early Christians were mostly Jewish, so they naturally began reaching out to fellow Jews in their local community. And many of those Jews became followers of Jesus. But God's vision for the church did not end in the city of Jerusalem. From that starting point, the church began to impact the surrounding region, including Judea and Samaria. And then from there, the church spread all over the world, beginning with what we now know as Turkey and Greece and Italy. Now, the book of Acts is the story of how this vision became a reality. The first five chapters of Acts focus on what happened in Jerusalem. Chapters 6 through 9 focus on Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 10 through 28 tell us how Christianity just exploded out to the ends of the earth. So this is the story we'll hear over the next few weeks. But all along the way, we're going to ask God to bring about this same vision in our time. I want to show you a diagram that helps us see this vision in a different way. I want to take those locations from Acts 1-8 and apply them to our situation. So starting in the center, we have Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then finally the ends of the earth. These locations are kind of a template to show us how God uses the church to impact the world. This is the vision for Plum Creek, but also any other church. Here's how it works. Jerusalem would be the community directly around us. This includes our local friends and family and our neighbors. And then our Judea would be the surrounding region. But Judea refers to people who are mostly like us. But then as we think about Samaria, we're still in the surrounding region, but we're reaching out to people who are very different than us. Judea and Samaria were right next to each other, but there was a lot of tension between these two groups. They usually didn't get along. So it's a very cool thing that the early Christians crossed these cultural boundaries to bring Jesus to the Samaritans. And we can follow that example today. You can be intentional about sharing God's love with someone who doesn't look like you do or think like you do. And then finally, God still calls the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why Plum Creek partners with missionaries and church planters around the world. So in our time, a healthy church will have some kind of impact on all of these levels, locally, regionally, and globally. And a healthy church will carry out the mission that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So at this point, we're starting to get a better understanding of what makes a church effective or successful. And the interesting thing is, this understanding is different than how many people think of the church today. You usually don't hear anyone say this out loud, but there is an attitude in our culture about what makes a church successful. The attitude is that a successful church has an ever-growing number of people in attendance on a Sunday morning. Now, don't get me wrong. 
It's a great thing when we have more and more people coming to a worship service where they can hear about Jesus. But if Sunday morning church attendance is the only yardstick we're using, we're missing the core of what the church is about. Because you can have people show up at a building without making true disciples of Jesus. And you can gather a crowd without impacting your community or your region or your world. But God wants to use his church to spread his kingdom around the globe. And God wants to use followers of Jesus to bless the world around us. And through the Holy Spirit, God gives us the power to do just that. So we're in a place that is similar to those disciples in Acts chapter 1. To be the church, we start by asking God to accomplish His purpose through us. Now, there is a big difference between Acts 1 and our time. They were still waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. They were still waiting for the church to begin. But we're not waiting anymore. The church is here, and God has already sent His Spirit so we can be the church right here and right now. The coronavirus can't stop the church. No government can stop the church. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. So where do we go from here? Well, we have a couple of options. We can look at all the challenges we're facing this summer, and we can lower our expectations for what the church might accomplish. Or we could say, no, we're not going to waste any time. We're not going to sit back. We're going to move forward. We're going to look at the amazing things that God did in the early church, and we're going to ask him to do things like that today. Every week during this series, we'll give you a specific action step that relates to what we see in the book of Acts. And today's action step is very, very important because this will get us to the place where God does those amazing things in our lives individually, but also in our church as a whole. So here's what I'm asking all of you to do. Remember those relationships we talked about among the early Christians? Those relationships are essential. And yes, we do have some obstacles to overcome right now with social distancing and all of that, but we can't use those obstacles as an excuse. So I'm challenging every member of Plum Creek to find two or three friends to form a group, a small group of three to four people. Now, if you've been a part of a life group this year, maybe these people are from your, your group. If you weren't in a life group, maybe they're just people you happen to know. These groups will be gender specific, three to four men or three to four women. And here's what you're signing up for. You're making a commitment as a group to have at least one conversation a week for the next 10 weeks. And you can have that conversation remotely on Zoom or something like that. You could also get together in somebody's backyard with everyone at least six feet apart, whatever works for you. But in that conversation, you talk about the previous week's sermon and you encourage each other to follow the scripture reading plan as we read through the book of Acts. And then you talk about the action step for that particular week. You ask each other, did you do that? How can we help you? And then from there, you, you make the commitment to support each other and pray for each other. And this is not a situation where one person is a teacher and everyone else is a student. This is just a group where you come alongside each other and you build the kind of relationships that we're supposed to see in the church. I'm so excited about this summer. I believe that God will do great things in and through Plum Creek over the next few months. Now, I'm a realistic person. I know that some of you will hear this challenge and say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And there are lots of reasons why we might feel that way. Maybe you don't know who to ask. Maybe it's just too hard to take the initiative. But listen, 
we want to help. If you are willing to be in a group, and I really hope you are, you can go to plumcreek.org connect. You'll find a way to contact us there and we'll help you get into a group. And as we form these groups, another important step is to come to our drive-in service this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. This is in person on Plum Creek property. We're getting together for one of those large group gatherings. We're calling this event SPUR because it's all about spurring each other on to go be the church. And one more thing about that night. Some of you right now have not yet made the clear decision to follow Jesus and join this community called the church. Some of you have never accepted God's gift of forgiveness and salvation. You've never been baptized into a new life in Christ. If that's you, I want you to know, we invite you to make that decision. I know one person who's already planning to be baptized on Thursday night, but we'd love to see more of you take this step. You can let us know ahead of time, or you can just show up ready to go. I know we'll be ready on our end. I'm so excited about this summer. And I know that a lot of us are impatient to get back to our building and meet like we used to. We sent out an update this week that says we're not quite ready to do that. But the good news is we don't have to wait to be the church. We can be the church today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for Jesus, I thank you for your spirit, and I thank you for the church. I pray, Lord, that you will use Plum Creek and your church around the world to do your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.